Welcome to the Divorce Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Carolee Fontanelli, and I am a divorce lawyer and author and have been through divorce myself. I'm here to support you throughout your breakup journey. On this podcast, I will share with you my secrets and legal tips on how you can thrive through your separation in small six-minute increments. Don't do it alone. I have got you. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in again to the Divorce Collective podcast. I'm Danielle Young. I'm a senior associate here at Collective Family Law Group. Today, I'm going to run through with you uh, what we call the Triple P 500 cases list um, or the priority property pools under $500,000. That's a mouthful. No wonder we call it the triple P 500. Okay, so did you know that there's a list in the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia specifically designed for pools where the net worth is $500,000 or under? Well, there is. And like I just said, it's known as the triple P 500. And it's designed, as is the rest of the system, to achieve a just, efficient and timely resolution of cases. To be eligible for this special list of cases, the following needs to apply. The net property of the parties, including superannuation, is or is likely to be $500,000 or less. Two, there are no entities such as family trusts or companies or self-managed superannuation funds. And three, neither of the parties are seeking other orders such as parenting orders, child support orders, contravention orders or enforcement orders. So, um, the case pathway, the case management pathway for these cases has two limbs. Registrar-led resolution, and that's where a registrar of the court assists the parties to reach an agreement in the shortest possible time. And then there's a short-form judge-managed list, which is a procedurally simpler process that's developed and led or developed um, so that it's led to the determination phase quicker. Parties still must comply with the pre-action procedures before bringing an application to the court and they must make a genuine attempt to firstly resolve the dispute before resorting to court intervention. To commence a triple P 500 case, there's some filing of documents that are dispensed with or wavered, um, which simplify this process. So, for example, parties are not required to file an affidavit or a financial statement. Instead, parties to a triple P 500 case will file an initiating application, a triple P 500 financial summary, and their genuine step certificate. That's it. Once those documents are filed, they must be served within seven days of the filing. And then the respondent to the proceedings has 28 days from being served to file their material in response. And that material is also simplified. They just need to file a response to initiate application and their own Triple P 500 financial summary. So that's a whole ton of documents that are waived um, and that are not required in this Triple P 500 case list. Um, the registrar-led case management processes are expected to last no more than 90 days. And if the case exceeds that time, then it may be referred to a judge for case management, I guess, to speed it along a bit. So. If the triple P 500 case has been filed, what happens next? Well, 
Prior to the first court event, the court may usually make some orders in chambers about the case management of the matter. Those directions that might be made for the case management include things like filing and serving of Triple P 500 financial summaries if one party hasn't already filed them, exchange of documents before the first court date, participation in the dispute resolution process if it's safe to do so, directions for the parties to liaise with an expert for the purposes of valuation of items that are in dispute, or they may even direct evaluation be conducted, and directions to file an affidavit if any interim, um, interim applications are sought. Regardless of any direction by the court by way of an order for disclosure, parties are expected at all times to exchange documents listed under the rules before the first court date. Um, we'll talk about duty of disclosure in another podcast, so check back in with us about that to hear more on your duty of disclosure um, and what sorts of things must be disclosed. The first court event will take place and prior to that event, the parties must notify each other and the court of their costs incurred to date, their estimated cost to the conclusion of a final hearing and the source of their funding, such as if they're privately funded or if they're in receipt of legal aid. Parties can agree on values of certain assets at the first return date so as to limit the issues in dispute. They may be stood down to negotiate interim orders by consent that might be required and they can agree to the engagement of a single expert if evaluation report is not already, or not already being prepared. If the matter cannot settle on that first court date, then the parties will be asked to make submissions about participation in dispute resolution. And dispute resolution may even be ordered as the next step, and it's likely to be so. That might be by way of a conciliation conference conducted by the court a private mediation or even a legal aid conference. <laughs> there goes my dog in the background. I guess she doesn't like this topic. I hope you're getting uh, more value out of it than my puppy. <clears throat> the matter will be adjourned to allow the dispute resolution conference to occur. If the matter makes it to the second court date, so if it doesn't resolve at that dispute resolution, um, then it's expected um, at that second court date that all disclosure has been done, valuations have been obtained, the dispute resolution, of course, was attempted, the parties have agreed on a balance sheet and formal offers have been exchanged. The second court event may involve a judicial register who conducted the dispute resolution if it was court-based, who will settle the balance sheet at this court event and then refer the matter uh, to a judge for case management. A lot of reality testing is done at this second court event um, if it can't resolve a dispute resolution. The parties will be given the realities of the matter proceeding both in respect to the financial burden that it has on them, the emotional burden it has on them, but also um, reality tests in respect of their positions and their evidence or lack thereof. If the registrar considers that the parties are close to settlement, then they might make arrangements for the matter to come before a judge so that a judge may um, assist with trying to get the parties over the line in, in relation to a resolution. If parties can reach an agreement, then they can submit consent orders to be made in chambers and finalise their matters before the court. Don't forget that where a superannuation splitting order is sought, the court must be given evidence of the value of the fund being split and that the super fund does not object to the split. If the matter can't resolve and the matter must have judicial determination, then the registrar will talk to the parties about limiting the issues, identifying agreed facts and balance sheets, and even discussing whether the matter is suitable for a hearing on the papers 
that is without having to have an in-person trial. The limited material that needs to be filed in the Triple P 500 cases make it a streamlined and less expensive process for parties with modest pools under $500,000. That is deliberate so that parties can concentrate on resolving the dispute rather than evidence gathering or wasting valuable resources arguing over matters that may not particularly be relevant in the overall determination of the matter. It also makes it easier for parties to self-represent in such proceedings, which is an obvious benefit where resources are limited. Of course, we encourage parties to resolve their matters without resorting to litigation. There's our honest belief that this saves parties both financial and emotional turmoil and allows them to move on to the next chapter of their lives and begin the healing process sooner rather than later. That's it. If you have a property settlement matter and need advice about your options and pathways forward or even your entitlements, then please reach out to us here at Collective Family Law Group. You can ask for me directly, but of course, any of our fabulous team are here to help whenever you're ready. Thank you for listening to the Divorce Collective podcast brought to you by collectivefamilylaw.com.au. If you got value from this week's episode, I would love it if you would hit subscribe and take a minute to leave a review. You can connect with us on Instagram or Facebook just by searching for Collective Family Law. And remember, until next time, you have got this.